Uh, and as the uh, kids go uh, to lower level, I'm going to need a couple of volunteers, uh, preferably a married couple. If you could come up, I've got a little script for you to read. We're not going to make fun of you. It's going to be okay. Uh, but I, I do need someone to actually come and volunteer and come up here. Anyone wants to thank you? Your wife's not going to come. She's just going to make you come by herself. Okay, come on up. Okay, this is James. Here's your script. Nola, your script. Go ahead and read through, and I'll kind of set us up a little bit here. So this is James and Nola. They've been married for uh, about 15 years now, and we're going to get a little bit of insight into the uh, pattern of communication that they have uh, in their home. Uh, so take it away, James and Nola. There sure is a lot of laundry that needs to be done. Well, I can't get to it right now because I have to take Jimmy to practice. I could take Jimmy to practice. Does that mean you want me to do the laundry while you take Jimmy to practice? Well, I was hoping I could go to the game today with Mike. <laughs> so you want me to take Jimmy to practice and do the laundry? Would you? That would be great. Why don't you just say what you want right off the bat? I do. Well, usually. Whatever. Why don't you just speak up if you don't want me to go to the game? I mean, I haven't gone to a game in months. Go to your precious game then. Tell Mike that he better enjoy the time with you because I sure would. Let's give James and Lola a hand. Thank you. You notice how quickly that kind of an argument uh, ramps up. Zero to 60 and suddenly there's, there's this massive conflict. There's all the history of it, all the baggage attached to it, and suddenly we get in trouble. And this is what happens when we speak. When we use our words, we know that it's just a minefield. It's just ripe for a conflict to come out and to cause uh, trouble, to cause hardship, to cause anger. All these things are wrapped up in what we say. Here's how the Bible puts it. The tongue is a fire. It's a world of evil among the parts of the body. All kinds of different animals and creatures of the sea and reptiles have been tamed by humans, but no one can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. That's the passage we're looking at today. It's a great passage of Scripture, uh, James chapter 3. Uh, so grab a Bible and go to James 3. We're going to look at verses 1 through 12 uh, today. If you're grabbing uh, a pew Bible, it's found on page 1882. So James 3, verses 1 through 12. And I really love this passage because it gives lots of really concrete illustrations of what it's talking about. So we get a real clear sense of what James has in mind here. It's also a passage that really hits us where we are. It's very accessible because most of us live in that kind of world, that kind of conversation that we just heard James and Lola having. That's us. That's the world that we live in. That's how we uh, speak and how others speak to us. So let's uh, pray together that God would fill us with his spirit so that we could hear correctly and understand what he's calling us to. Pray with me. God, I thank you for the gift of scripture, that you did not leave us alone, but that you have spoken to us in a clear way. I thank you for uh, inspiring James to write this letter to the churches and the gift that that is to us as the 21st century church to be able to read it and to hear it and to understand it clearly. I pray that you would fill us with your spirit so that we could hear your word accurately and be able to act on it in obedience to you for your glory. We pray this in the name of Jesus, our Lord and Savior. Amen. So as we look at this passage, we're going to see it in two parts. First, we're going to look at the, uh, the power of what we say, and then we're going to look at the problem of what we say. So let's start off with the power of what we say. It starts off with a little bit of an introduction here. So this is James 
chapter 3, verses 1 through 2. Look at those with me. He says, Not many of you should become teachers, my fellow believers, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. We all stumble in many ways. Anyone who is never at fault in what they say is perfect, able to keep their whole body in check. So the initial concern here is for teaching in the church. Uh, James is commending sobriety for those who take up this role. Uh, Apparently in this day, some would aspire to be teachers for maybe some sense of prestige or influence that might be considered to be in that position. It's very glamorous, right? Uh, But James is pouring cold water on that. He's saying you need to be careful here. You need to uh, make sure you know what you're getting into. Because the reality is, the truth is, the teachers are going to be uh, judged for every word they speak. We're held accountable for the influence that we have on others, which means that those of us who are in teaching positions in the church are in a pretty sober position. We're liable to judgment. If we say the wrong thing, if we use our influence for for evil rather than for good, we will receive God's judgment on that. It's a sobering kind of a statement. But really, this this opening verse is is opening up the door for a broader concern that he's going to deal with in the rest of the section. And that is that every one of us is imperfect, and particularly We're imperfect in how we use our words, what we say. If anyone uh, is able to always do the right thing with what they say, if anyone is able to keep their tongue in check, they're a perfect person. They're able to consistently follow God's standard across the board, their whole body, if they are able to control what they say. Now, James wants us to understand that there is power in in the words that we use. So look at verse 3. When we put bits in the mouths of horses to make them obey us, we can turn the whole animal Or take ships as an example. Although they're so large and are driven by strong winds, they are steered by a very small rudder wherever the pilot wants to go. Likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. And most of us already understand that the tongue is a powerful thing, but James is reminding us of that. The tongue is powerful. Specifically, the tongue has power that's disproportionate. It's just a small part of the body. And it has immense influence over our whole life. He says, think about a horse. Horses are these big, strong, powerful animals. Horses are bigger than us. They're stronger than us. And yet we found a way to get them to do what we want. You put this bit in their mouth, this little piece of metal, and there you go. You pull to the left and they go left. You pull to the right and they go right. We're able to control this big, strong animal by just this small little piece of metal. Or he says, think about ships. Ships are these massive things. They can sail across great lakes. They can sail across the ocean. They're driven by the the mighty power of the wind. Or in in modern day, they're driven by the the mighty power of these strong engines. And yet the whole thing is directed by a single rudder. That one rudder that's pretty small in comparison to the size of the boat determines the direction of that entire boat. Watch the badger leave sometime. You'll see it actually has just one rudder. Giant boat, one rudder, that steers the whole thing. And the point's simple. Small things can have a really big impact. And that's what he's getting at here. That's the truth with our words. The tongue is a small part of the body, but it can direct the whole course of our lives. It is small, but it's powerful. Its power is disproportionate to its size. And of course, understanding the power of the tongue means that there is potential for great good here. We can use our our tongues to encourage others and to, to lift them up, to praise God. But it also has potential for great harm. That's what he's pointing us to next. Let's pick up again halfway through verse 5 there. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. 
The tongue also is a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole body, sets the whole course of one's life on fire, and is itself set on fire by hell. So not only is the, the power of the tongue disproportionate to its size, but it also is incredibly destructive in potential. And a forest fire is a, is a strong, poignant example of what he's talking about. This is what happens. On May 5th, 2009, a couple of uh, people were out using brush cutters along a trail in Santa Barbara, California. And they had these, these big, powerful uh, brush cutters with metal blades in the end of them. And they thought they were doing a good deed. They were clearing off a path so that people would be able to use this uh, wilderness area more. But along the way, one of those metal blades hit a rock, and it sent a little spark flying from the blade out into the weeds. And, and these people didn't even notice what happened. They, they left the scene. They thought everything was fine. But that little uh, spark that flew off the blade of that uh, brush cutter smoldered for a while, and then it caught this dry vegetation on fire. Soon afterward, a hiker was passing by, and he saw a little fire, and so he called 911 immediately to try to get people on the scene as, as quickly as possible. But it was too late. There was strong winds that day. The dry vegetation caught and just roared out of control. Before that fire was done, 8,733 acres were destroyed. 80 homes were totally wiped out. 30 firefighters were injured. 35,000 people had to be evacuated, and they spent $35 million trying to put that fire out, all from one little spark that the people who caused it didn't even recognize happened. James says, that's the power of our words. When we say things, it's that kind of destructive power. The tongue is, is a fire. Its destructive capability is massive. It's just a little part of the body. And yet it can bring evil to the whole person. It can set the whole course of our life on fire. And it is empowered by hell itself. It's like Satan is, is pulling the strings on this wildfire level destruction to bring that into your life by the little spark of what you say. That's what we're up against. This is what James is talking about. He's not pulling punches here. He wants us to feel the gravity of what we say and the potential for harm and for good that comes out of the words that we say. And so he's piling up the illustrations. It's like a bit in the mouth of a horse. It's like a rudder to a ship. It's like a spark that can set a whole forest on fire. We have to feel the weight and the gravity of this. What we say has power that is disproportionate and it's destructive. Now, most of us know this. Most of us have, have been on both sides of that. We have said things that have hurt others, and others have said things that have had a, an, an immense impact for evil in our lives. As we're reminded of this, though, I'm imagining that most of us are sitting here thinking, okay, well, I need to be careful what I say. I can't just throw words around. I need to be careful. I need to rein in my tongue. I, I need to control what I say and be careful about it. But we're about to see that it's, it's not quite as easy as it sounds. It sounds simple and straightforward. Every one of us know this is true. We should watch what we say. We should be careful not to use our words to hurt other people. And yet somehow it's so difficult for us to actually do that. We're about to find out why. So we go from the power of what we say to the problem of what we say. And again, we start out with an illustration. Look at verse 7. All kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and sea creatures are being tamed and have been tamed by mankind. But no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. He's saying, look at what humans are capable of doing. We can tame all sorts of different things. I mean, dogs, cats, those are easy, but, but elephants and, and camels and tigers, and we're able to tame all sorts of 
of animals, some of which are way bigger than us, way more powerful than us, but we're able to teach them and to train them and to tame them. This always amazes me. If you've ever been to a sea world, you think of the ability that these trainers have to be able to uh, teach these orcas to do all sorts of different tricks. I mean, orcas are these big, strong, powerful, meat-eating creatures, and they're able to have them do all sorts of different tricks. It just boggles my mind that people have been able to do this. It's incredible. As amazing as that is, it's setting up this contrast for what James is saying. You might be able to do that, but no one can tame the tongue. It's easy for us, easier for us to tame a tiger than it is for us to keep a rein on the words that we say. See, this is the problem. The problem with what we say is that it's untamable. No one can control it. We just saw that the power of what we say, it's, it's destructive. It's, it's so powerful, like a spark setting on, on flame, a whole fire. And now we see why that power is so often used for destruction rather than for benefit. It's because it's untamable. No one can tame the tongue. No one can control that. If you've ever said something and immediately regretted it and wished you could take those words back, you know what he's talking about here. If you've ever thought, well, why did I say that? If I could go back in time, I'd do it. You know what he's talking about. It is so hard for us to control our words. I was talking to uh, my wife Emily about this earlier in the week, and she immediately remembered an incident almost two decades ago. She was in, in youth group at high school, and she was hanging out with uh, the group of friends, and there was a, a new leader there that night, he was a, a young college student who wanted to help out. He had this great heart for kids, and, and he came in all enthusiastic. So he's uh, introducing himself to different groups of, of students at the beginning of the night, and uh, Emily was feeling pretty punchy that night, apparently. Um, so he came over to introduce himself to Emily and her friends, and so he walked up. He said, hi, I'm Bill. And without thinking, the first thing out of her mouth is, are you sure your name isn't Fishface? And this is the first thing she says. This is the first impression, right? No idea who this guy is, never met him before. And the first thing she says, are you sure your name isn't Fishface? This is her first impression. And of course, she has immediate regret. Why did I say that? Why couldn't I just said, oh, hi, nice to meet you? That would have been the right thing to do. She wishes she could hit the rewind button, go back and, and fix it all, make it all better. But it's too late. That's what this is talking about, right? No one can tame the tongue. When I asked for permission, by the way, if I could tell the story. She said yes, but said, make sure people know that I'm really ashamed of that. I never would say that today. Like, I'm, I'm much more polite now. She, she's learned from it, right? You learn over time that you have to, have to not just blurt out everything that comes to mind. Well, I have to say, she's pretty funny. <laughs> but this is just like us. We can't seem to control what we say. We have such a hard time with that. And really, that's a pretty mild example. I've said worse things than that. You've said worse things than that, and you've seen the negative impact. You've seen people hurt by what you've said. You've been hurt by what other people have said. This is why. No one can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil. It's full of deadly poison. It's so hard for us to control what we say. And then this. With the tongue, we praise our Lord and Father, and with it we curse human beings who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. My brothers and sisters, this should not be. Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? My brothers and sisters, can a fig tree bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? Neither can a salt spring produce fresh water. The problem with our speech is put into stark relief when we see how inconsistent we are with the things that we say. We use our, our tongues, our mouths to praise God. And then we use those same mouths 
to curse people. But he says, that doesn't make sense. People are made in God's image, so we're praising God and cursing God's image. It's totally inconsistent. It doesn't make any sense. See, James is pointing to the very best way we use words and the very worst way we use words. The best way that we can use this gift of language is to praise God, to talk about how amazing he is and all that he's done for us, how he's the greatest treasure in all the world. We're at our best when we're using words to praise him. But then moments later, we're cursing people. We're tearing them down. We're destroying them with our words. But they're made in God's image. James says we are so inconsistent. And it's unlike anything else in all creation. Look around. Nothing else is as inconsistent as the words that we say. Think about a spring. If you go to a spring of water, it will either be a freshwater spring or a saltwater spring. And if it's a freshwater spring, every time you go there, it's going to be fresh water. You're not going to go there and one day it's fresh water and the next day it's salt water. It doesn't happen. Or, or think about trees. A fig tree will always produce figs. An olive tree will always produce olives. Grapevines always produce grapes. The kind of fruit that is produced comes from the kind of tree that it is. That's why farmers around here can plant apple trees in confidence that they're going to get apples at the end of it. They're not going to go to their orchard and one day find a bunch of apples on their apple trees and then the next day come back and find a bunch of cherries on their apple trees. It doesn't happen like that. Nature is consistent. And yet the way we use words is totally contrary to that. One moment we're praising God and the next minute we're just tearing other people down and cursing them. Totally inconsistent. People are made in God's image and yet we are tearing them down with our words. This is what's so problematic about the way we speak. What's so problematic is that we're duplicitous. We're double-minded in what we say. We're, we're totally inconsistent, blessing, cursing out of the same person. James says, that's not how it should be. This is not right. Now, I love that this passage is very concrete and it's very clear. I feel like we can understand very easily what James is talking about. James is teaching us that as followers of Jesus, we need to pay attention to what we say. So he's pointing out the, the immense power of words, disproportionate to the, the size of, of the mouth of the tongue is the power of words. It's, it's destructive in its potential. Then the problem of it, no one can tame the tongue. And it's totally duplicitous and inconsistent. So what he's teaching us here is that the tongue, what we say, has enormous power. So we need to be careful with what we say. Now, as we think about how to apply this passage specifically in our lives, we have to keep in mind the, the larger purpose of the book of James. Uh, James writes because he wants followers of Jesus to be mature and healthy and, and single-minded in our faith to Christ. And so the reason we have these two uh, contrasting pictures of trees up front is that it's a reminder of what James is talking about here. There's a kind of faith that I would put in scare quotes, a, a supposed faith that is totally dead. There's no life in it. It doesn't have any impact on what you actually think or do. That's just words. It doesn't do anything. But James doesn't want us to get stuck there. He wants us to grow deep roots in the gospel that then grow us up into healthy, mature, vibrant, life-giving people. Speech is one of the areas that shows what's going on inside of a heart. It's like a window into our soul that shows, do we have dead faith or do we have faith that's actually alive? And most of us, when we look at what we say, we'll see that we fail all the time here. That little conversation between James and Lola is a conversation that happens at our house every day. And the solution here isn't despair. 
The solution is what, what David Lundin shared last week in the message. I don't know if you caught the little phrase he said, but gospel-fueled life is the phrase he used. It's a fantastic phrase, gospel-fueled life. That means that the solution here is not to try harder. James has already told us that's not going to work. No one can tame the tongue. The solution here is the gospel, because this isn't just about behavior modification. If this was behavior modification, we could just do the try harder route and see if that would work. But Jesus tells us that our behavior comes from what's inside of us. It comes from our hearts. So when he's teaching the religious leaders in in Matthew 12, he's going to uh, rally against them a little bit here, but he's indicating that what we do and say comes from who we are, comes from our hearts. This is Matthew 12, 33. Jesus says, make a tree good, and its fruit will be good. Or make a tree bad, and its fruit will be bad. For a tree is recognized by its fruit. You brood of vipers, how can you who are evil say anything good? For the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. A good man brings good things out of the good stored up in him, and an evil man brings out evil things out of the evil stored up in him. But I tell you that everyone will have to give account on the day of judgment for every empty word they have spoken. For by your words you will be acquitted, and by your words you will be condemned. So Jesus is saying a very similar thing to James. What we say can either acquit us or condemn us. And specifically here he's talking about how our our words come from our hearts. What we say comes from who we are. And that means the solution here is that we need our hearts to be transformed. We need God to transform us so that we can be people who actually speak what is good and use our words for good. And the good news is this is what is offered to us in the gospel. What is offered to us is forgiveness in Jesus for every word that we've used to hurt other people and transformation by the power of his spirit so that we can actually use words for good. Now, this is not an immediate transformation, and if you're, if you're new to the faith, you might be thinking, well, I'm still using words to destroy other people, and it can be a frustrating thing. It can very easily move you to despair. It's not an immediate transformation, but just like a tree doesn't start off as a 40-foot-tall healthy tree, it starts off small, a little, a little seedling, and then it grows over time and matures and, and grows healthier. That's what happens in the Christian life. God's Spirit points out a little area of our life that we're struggling with. And maybe this morning he's pointing out that that you're not using words in a way that's consistent with the gospel. Don't allow that to just leave you in in feeling condemned or despair. See that that's an opportunity that the Spirit is giving you to have the gospel speak into your heart and transform you. So when we come to the failures of what we say, we come back to the gospel and we look at our lives without despair to see how God is calling us to respond. So how do we respond? Now, at one level, you might say that the the response to this is very easy. Uh, Chapter 3, verse 1. Not many of you should become teachers, my fellow believers, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. That's the one very clear, grammatically, command in this whole passage. And you think, okay, don't be a teacher. I can do that. That's fantastic. That's an easy check mark. We'll just not deal with the rest of the passage. I'm not going to be a teacher. That's fine. I might need a different job, but uh, for most of us, that's going to be okay. But of course, it's not that easy because it moves from this specific idea of teaching in the church to then include a problem that every single person who is a follower of Jesus has to deal with. See, I could look at all the times that I failed as a parent and and say, you know what, I I don't want to hurt my kids. I see that I'm not consistently a a good father. I I want them to have good parents. 
but I see that I'm failing at this, so I'm just going to give up. I'm not going to parent my kids. Family meeting, get the kids together. Okay, kids, you're free to do whatever you want. You're going to parent yourselves. Uh, Godspeed. Now, obviously, that's not the solution. That's not going to do anyone any good. I have a bunch of feral kids running around. The solution is that I have to take responsibility to learn and to grow and to ask for God's grace and transformation in my life. In the same way, it's the responsibility of everyone who's a follower of Jesus to use our words well. Now, here's what I want you to think about. What we say is a huge gospel opportunity. And James is giving us the, the other side of it. He's giving us the negative side because we have to understand the gravity of, of what he's talking about and how our words can be so powerful and so destructive. So, so we need to wake up to realize and remember the power of our words. But then having received that wake-up jolt, we now think about how the gospel can transform this whole picture to use the power of our words for good instead of destruction. I want you to think about the impact that us using words well, consistently, would have on, on us as a church family. One of the, the stereotypes of church life is that um, people just gossip all the time. They just talk behind everyone's back. So, so they hear about James and Lola. Did, did you hear the one about James and Lola? I think, I think they're struggling in their marriage. and I, I think maybe, maybe we need to pray for them. So we'll, we'll put it in good terms. We'll Christianize it. And, and then we'll be able to gossip while still being uh, perceived as good Christian people. So let, I think everyone needs to pray for James and Lola. We're not going to talk to them and, and deal with it. But, but let's talk about them. And then we should pray about them because I think they're having marital difficulties. What if we flip the script? What if instead of that, we consistently used words to build people up and to encourage other people? When was the last time you, you walked up to someone on a Sunday morning who's serving and, and just thanked them for serving, whether it's a greeter or a nursery worker, someone on the worship team? When was the last time you, you took time to sit down and write a note and, and send it in the mail and just telling someone that you were thinking about them and that you really care about them, you like them? No agenda, no strings attached, just letting someone know that you care about them. I mean, this has the, the opportunity to totally transform the feel and the life of a community of faith like ours. I mean, I want to be part of a church like that. You want to be part of a church like that. We can do this. We flip the script and use gospel words, good news words, instead of words that can destroy. But it's beyond the church as well. Think about the opportunity that this would have, the impact that this could have here in our community in Ludington. For followers of Jesus to live in this community as people who refuse to use words to destroy other people and instead use words for good. I've been told there are a couple of uh, websites online that are basically places uh, for locals to complain and rant about things that are happening in Mason County. What if we change the script on that? What if rather than complaining, we found ways of speaking good, of speaking encouragement to others? When was the last time you went up to a city worker doing their job and, and thanked them for what they were doing? When was the last time you just walked over to a neighbor's house and, and brought them a, a bunch of cookies and just said hi and, and started a conversation? When was the last time you engaged with a cashier beyond just swiping your car and moving on? So we have opportunities every day to be able to speak good news. And there really is tremendous opportunity here. Words are powerful. What we say can have an impact. I got to experience this in a powerful way a week ago. Emily and I were at a gathering of, of husbands and wives in ministry, and, and we got a very simple uh, task one morning. Uh, we split into to small groups, about five couples each, and, and they said, just commend your spouse to the group. Think about what makes 
your husband, your wife special, their gifts, their passions, their abilities, who God has made them to be. And just tell everyone in the group, spend some time going over, and everyone gets to, to share about their spouse. Now, that was amazing. To, to watch husbands and wives just light up as they talk about their spouse. Well, no, you have to understand my wife. She is this, this incredibly unique person. God has made her to be someone who is, who is so tied to her values. She knows what she believes, and she sticks to that. doesn't matter what anyone else is doing. She just sticks to that, and she's so smart, and just going on and on about their spouses. All the way around the room, everyone got a chance to share. It was an incredibly beautiful thing. We got to experience the other side of what James is talking about. Words are powerful. Yes, there's an incredible potential for harm here. There's much destruction. But there's also a gospel opportunity to use words well. What if we flipped the script and spoke well of our spouses? See, not only is this great for each individual marriage around that room, but it's also great for the larger perception of what marriage is. Think about how culturally we tend to speak about marriage. There's a phrase that everybody knows, the old ball and chain, right? You've probably used this phrase yourself. This is how we talk about marriage, the old ball and chain. What's that saying? It's saying that marriage is like prison. It's not fun. It's constraining. Why would anyone want to be married if that's what marriage is? What if we change the script? What if instead of talking about how, uh, a, what a drag it is to be married or complaining about our spouse to others, what if we always took the opportunity to speak well of them? Now, you have to understand this about my wife. She did this great thing the other day. She's just amazing. We have to understand this about my husband. He's, he's great. He's so thoughtful. He does this. He does that. What if we change the script? That would totally transform a cultural perception of what marriage is all about. Now, I'm not talking about denying the reality that often marriage is very difficult, but I'm talking about using the opportunity to use words and the power of words in a way that can totally transform relationships and even, more broadly, cultural perceptions. So it's a very simple takeaway this week. Just try this this week. Use your words for good. See how you can be good news people, gospel-speaking people, everywhere you go. Whether it's a coworker or your kids or a spouse or a cashier, watch for opportunities and then use them so that we can change the script for good. And that's the opportunity that the church has. We are good news people, gospel people. And see, the gospel first shows us the sin in our own hearts. It shows us that when we speak evil of others, there's this incredible destructive capacity that shows that there is evil inside of my heart. But then the gospel also says that there is power here to transform my heart, God's own power, so they can be the kind of person who then speaks what is right and what is true and what is good. That's the opportunity we have to be gospel-speaking people. We speak good news everywhere we go. We realize that our world is hurting for good news. All the violence out at Charlottesville yesterday is another strong reminder that our world is hurting for good news. So as there's this big alt-right gathering and, and violence surrounding that, an anti-gospel message that, of racism that fuels hatred and violence, we as a church, as followers of Jesus, have an opportunity to speak the true gospel, the gospel of a coming kingdom with a king on the throne whose name is Jesus and with people who will gather around from every tongue every race, every language, every tribe to praise his name and to lift him up. That is the good news that we as followers of Jesus have the opportunity to proclaim day in and day out. Let's pray that God would do that work in our hearts so that we would speak good news everywhere we go. Pray with me.
God, every single one of us has uh, sinned in the words that we have said. Every single one of us has used words to cut down and hurt and destroy. Father, forgive us. We confess our sin before you this morning, and we ask that you would give us power to, to change the script so that we would not use words to harm others. We acknowledge that the incredible power that language has, and we ask that you would transform us by the power of your Spirit so that we would be gospel-speaking, good-news-speaking people everywhere we go to your glory. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.